0: Welcome to Neighborly. Make em laugh. House number 24, Little Street. never really expect the lonely sort, do you? Class clown is a term often associated with those outgoing kinds of people, and to be a clown takes a certain type of confidence, sure, but actual honest-to-goodness clowning is often attractive to a different kind of person. Roshin was that different kind of person. The kind who went off on little mental monologues to self-soothe. At school, she had preferred the company of her teachers to her peers, and the company of books to any person. Though this did not translate to her grades, as one might expect. The things that caught her interest were never asked about on tests, which left the girl who was frequently described as unusually bright with subpar leaving certificate results and rejection after rejection from local and international colleges. And then, one grim June day, she got accepted. Somewhere she never would have dreamed. Madame Isabel Rutford's Academy for Clowning and Mimery, Roshin didn't even remember applying. Rutford was a decorated veteran clown, and her school was renowned for its quality and infamously competitive. Roshin had given up on it, and indeed all hope of ever becoming anything close to a clown, when her parents decided that it was an unsuitable career choice for her. She had been applying for business courses, and then medicine courses, and then legal courses, and then even arts and literature courses, and with each round of rejections, her family got yet more desperate. All she ever did was stare at the wall moping, and reading her books about clowns and the history of clowns, and all she ever talked about was clowns and clowning. By the time the letter from the Rutford Clown Academy arrived, her parents were just desperate enough to let her go. But the school was halfway across the country, so her parents arranged for her to move into digs. There was a family renting out a room for cheap in a neighbourhood just a few bus stops away from the academy, in a place called Little Street. Number 24, specifically. It was funny that a place that was to be the most populated area Roshin had ever lived could be described as Little. She thought about that on the drive over, as well as her explanation for the host family about why someone like her might want to be a clown, or if being a clown meant she was the rambunctious sort, and all sorts of tangential monologues ricocheting around in her head. When she finally stepped out of the car, the host family were standing in the driveway waiting. A mother, a father, and an adult son all smiling. Roisin's own father took her big suitcase out of the boot of the car and eyed them nervously. "'What's in here?' he whispered to her as he passed. ton of bricks?' "'Books,' she replied, abashed. He huffed and carried them up to the family, grinning a polite hello. After a moment of the three of them staring at him like cardboard cutouts, The son fluidly took the large suitcase and carried it aloft into the house and up the stairs. Roisin took the backpack with the rest of her things in, all by herself. Her dad went in for what might have been a hug, but instead patted her on the back before getting back into his car and driving away. The wardrobe didn't open all the way. After a point, the doors hit the side of the bed. So, unpacking her things was a laborious task. When she had finished, she looked up to see the whole family in the doorway with the same rictus grins as before looking in at her. Hello, Rosheen, purred the mother. I just wanted to make sure we were all acquainted and give you the grand tour. We're the Walsh's. I'm Edith Walsh, and this is my husband Lawrence Walsh and my son Cedric Walsh. The two men waved on cue, still grinning. Their teeth were pearl-white, like they had never been used. When you're ready, come out and I'll show you around. The kitchen had granite countertops. There was space for Roisin to put her own groceries in the fridge, and Sunday dinner was included in the rent her parents paid. There was a lace doily in the centre of the table. The teapot had flowers on it. They asked if she had any dietary requirements, and she said no. And they smiled at her warmly. So... What college are you studying at again? Asked Cedric. Roisin felt a blush creep up her neck and stretch out to settle on her cheeks. I... Uh... uh, It's... Uh... She took a deep breath. It's clown school. Cedric's face froze, a crystal picture of grinning befuddlement. I'm sorry? I'm... Uh... I'm going to Isabel Rutford's academy for clowning and mimery. Cedric looked at Lawrence, who looked at Edith. Their faces wavered. I won't make a lot of noise or cause a fuss, Roisin said quickly. People think that clowns are loud and, you know, annoying, but... Oh, it's no problem, dear, reassured Edith through a strained smile. It sounds fun. Certainly. No one takes fun as seriously as I do. Roisin's bright and jokey tone couldn't cut the tension in the room, and all three of their smiles thinned to lines with only slightly upturned ends. Roisin slept fitfully that night. Visions of smiles and frowns danced behind her eyelids, and by the time she woke up she was less sure than ever which was worse. But her mood soared as soon as she woke up enough to realise that that was the day that she started at Rutford's Clown Academy. She was about to rush out the door when Edith stopped her. "'Where are you off to at this hour of the morning?' she smiled warmly. "'Oh, you know, just want to make sure I'm not late for orientation.' Roisin replied, not without impatience. Edith tutted. You could stay for two hours more and not be late. I've looked up that college of yours, and there's nowhere good to get a nice breakfast for miles around. Stay for breakfast, so that you can start off your day well-fueled. Good for the brain. Eventually, Roisin relented and let Edith feed her. There was bacon, sausages, eggs, toast, and a small bowl of Cocoa Pops. She thought she would eat with the family, but the rest of them were nowhere to be seen, and Edith left the room right after serving her. Too early for them, she supposed. Although, after she had finished with the cereal and moved on to the eggs and toast, she started to hear a voice from the other room. There was a door connecting the kitchen to the living room, but she could tell that it was kept permanently shut by the clothes horse in front of it. Still, there was a noise coming from it, and though Roshin wasn't one to pry, she thought she heard the word, Rutford. And, well, when you suspect someone is talking about you behind your back, then eavesdropping is fair game, wouldn't you agree? So Roisin crouched behind the door. The voice was the son, Cedric. It sounded as though he was talking on the phone. We're not sure how to handle it. The voice from the other side of the phone said something. Roisin caught the words, Claimed, Agreement, and Not fair game, in a very proper voice. So just wait. The person on the other end said something else, of which Roshin only caught interesting challenges and won't be fun. Cedric seemed resigned when he next spoke. (sighs) Fine. He hung up. Excuse me. Roshin started and spun around, meeting Lawrence's eyes with a rueful gaze. He seemed apologetic to have startled her. I was wondering if you might like a lift into town. If you went on the bus now, you'd be running a bit late to get there for nine. I can drop you in much quicker. But how... Roshin sighed, then smiled at him. Yes, thank you. That would be very kind of you. The indicator in Lawrence Walsh's car made a noise that bore into Roshin's head. She wanted to speak, say something, anything to stop her from fixating on it but it was so niggling her thoughts fled from the noise. Like it had hacked a leak in her skull, and all of her words had escaped. And as much as she strained for a topic, anything that normal people might talk about, she found her mind coming back to the agony of the tick, tick, tick of the indicator. Finally, he made the turn, and she looked up and frowned, finding a reason to break the silence. Are you sure this is the right way? He grinned, keeping his eyes on the road. And again, Roshin was struck by how perfect, how unused his teeth seemed to look. Shortcut. We're getting close now. The buildings loomed close over them, stark red brick uninterrupted by any prying window. Roshin felt the hairs on the back of her neck prickle curiously. Lawrence's phone jingled, and he grumbled as he stopped the car to take it out. There seemed to be some hesitation in him over whether he would answer it he did. Hello? Roisin fidgeted. Lawrence's eyes widened at the murmurs from the other end of the line and excused himself to step out of the car. A Lawrence of a different posture slid back into his seat. He apologised as he buckled his seatbelt in, asserting that he must have misread a street sign somewhere, and turned around, promptly delivering her to the steps of Rutford's academy not a blurry five minutes later. At which point she was officially late and sprinted through the gates without allowing any of the gravitas prudent to the beginning of an academic journey. But you've heard enough nattering from me, giggled the speaker at the podium when Roshan slipped into the chair at the back of the hall. Everyone, I am proud to introduce our school's founder, Isabel Rutford, with some encouraging words for our new and returning students. And the most incredible clown cartwheeled onto the stage. Landing with a winning smile and a flick of her hair so forceful it couldn't possibly have been awake. But it must have been. Natural hair couldn't look like that, so... perfect. As she approached the podium on a stage that was suddenly empty, rosheen sat up straighter in her chair. She was gripped by the desire to be noticed, to be seen. Every head between her and Rutford became a loathsome thing standing between the connection they so obviously would have had if they could only just have that spark. As it was, with her in the back of the room, it was doubtful she could make as good a first impression as this crowd of undeserving lights in front of her. She was about to start mentally cursing Lawrence Walsh for his bizarre detour, and indeed Edith Walsh for mistaking the commute time, when her mental ramble was stopped short by direct, smiling eye contact with Isabel Rutford. Hello, everyone, Rutford addressed the room, but her eyes were locked on Rosine. She was certain of it. Even across the length of the hall, she knew. I am so excited to welcome you, and welcome you back to my academy for clowning and mimery. I promise I won't be keeping you long. We are all very busy entertainers, after all, and hoping to get busier. Every word seemed to fill Rosine like oasis water fills people stranded in the desert. She was still a stone. She didn't blink. She would not, could not, do anything that might prompt Rutford to move her eyes to the rabble sitting closer. All there is to say is study hard, learn lots, have fun, and good luck. Confetti popped out of seemingly nowhere, and the audience began a standing ovation. Rochine leapt to her feet. She couldn't bear the thought of those eyes finding someone else's in the chaos. But the instant the line of sight between them was broken, there was a bang and a puff of smoke, and Rutford disappeared. Well, at least she hadn't looked at someone else. The day's classes began theoretical and introductory, broad and vague philosophical statements about the place of laughter in society and the positive psychological effects of smiling. Were she any less eager, it might have struck rosheen that the statements seemed like an attempt for the clowns to justify themselves. But all she could think of was impressing these teachers enough so that word would get back to Rutford. She fantasized, imagining each teacher whispering to each other about how that quip she made to another student a little too loudly was inspired, how that cheeky gesture revealed comedic genius, a raw talent deserving of honing from the woman herself. So tangled was she in this imagining, so certain, that it was a not insignificant disappointment when the class was dismissed with no Isabel Rutford to be seen, bursting through the doors insisting on meeting her or otherwise. It took her a while to figure out the combination of buses that would bring her back to Little Street, and she returned exhausted just as the sun was heading to bed. She let herself in, and noticed that, at the sound of the door shutting behind her, the hushed sounds of an argument suddenly ceased. When she went to the kitchen to prepare a light dinner for herself before bed, Cedric stormed past her up the stairs and slammed his bedroom door. Lawrence and Edith were leaning against the counter. They didn't exactly scowl at her though they made no moves to greet her or even meet her eyes. She ate quickly and retired to her room, where she sank, thankfully, into a deep and dreamless sleep. The week passed in a blur, with no more delays from Edith or lifts from Lawrence. In fact, the Walches seemed to avoid her, treating her as though she were contagious. At school, Roisin was excelling in her first project, which was to develop a clown character. She'd even borrowed Edith's sewing machine and made a rudimentary costume. A flowy one-piece inspired by vintage clown aesthetics. She was so excited she brought it in before she'd finished the closers, sealing herself inside with tape to show it off to the teachers. While impressed, none of them ran to get Isabel. It was only the first week, but that Friday she left the school elated by her own potential, if disappointed at the lack of her would-be mentor. Her daydream splintered into big-time ambitions. Hospital clowning, circus clowning, a world tour! spreading joy and healing the world. She almost bounced off the bus and through the Walsh's door. That weekend, the silent treatment from her host family could not reach her from inside the oasis of her room. She stitched until her outfit was perfect. She studied comedic poems and ballads and practiced face paint on herself. So consumed was she in her studies that she perfected her full regalia right when Edith Walsh knocked and then opened her door. She grimaced a bit, looking at Roshin's costume and makeup. Time for dinner, she said monotonously. Roshin stared up at her blankly. It's Sunday, she said, by way of explanation, and then turned and went downstairs without waiting for a reply. Roshin could smell a fat, buttery duck growing cold in the kitchen. She hesitated, turning to search for the makeup wipes among the scattered things on the bed but after Lawrence barked for her to come down, she jumped and decided to eat dinner as a clam. The Walshes were staring at their clean pates when Roisin came down. In front of them was the most decadent dinner she had ever seen. It seemed like it might be enough to feed a small country, let alone four people, three of whom hadn't served themselves a single bite. Rosine sat and waited, thinking it might be rude to eat first, and then overthought her way through her growing hunger that, as the guest, maybe she was expected to. She found herself wishing she was at the table with her teachers, all made up as clowns, with Rutford smiling at the head instead of Edith Walsh's stony face. The duck hadn't been carved, and she didn't want to intrude on that at all, so she took a spoonful of mixed vegetables and a baked potato. Even as she ate, the Walshes did not serve themselves. The veggies were delicious, but the potato was a bit dry. She could smell, from a small porcelain pitcher across the table, the most rich and meaty gravy. She licked her lips. Could you pass the gravy, please? Cedric stifled a smirk and went to lift the gravy. As he carried it, Lawrence snickered. Roisin did her best to ignore them as she took it. She didn't feel this alienated among her peers at school. This is lovely. You didn't need to go through all this effort for me. Nonsense, Edith giggled. It's no trouble. If you're sure, Roisin mumbled. Lawrence seemed to be choking. His face was reddening fast and a vein throbbed on his forehead. He hit the table with his fists and wheezed. Cedric chuckled. Edith tittered. Lawrence chortled. What's so funny? Roshin asked. The three of them exploded into whoops of laughter. Roisin stood, fishing back the chair right when the Welshes fell out of theirs, rolling on the floor, cackling with wide eyes, choking on Spittle. Rosheen felt fearful, tears smarting as she stepped over them, evading their waving attempts to grab at her, at anything to steady themselves. She wanted to get out, get out and go back, back to the only place where they wouldn't laugh at her for being a clown. The light was falling fast, and it was still Sunday, but she found a bus at the stop with a bored-looking driver who brightened at the sight of her. She tried to give him the fare, but just as she mumbled out her destination, he waved her through while laughing maniacally, locked in simpering ecstasy, and she didn't even get to a seat before the bus lunged forward, toppling her and scraping white makeup onto the floor. This only served to cause the other passengers in the bus to hoot as loud as the driver had, a cacophony of screaming laughter that echoed around her ears and like up the bus stairs, where passengers, who could not even see her, joined in. Tears streamed from red eyes and spittle-free. The bus filled up with so much steam from the heat of the riotous gefine that Roisin swore she could hear the whistling like a cat. <laughs> At last, the bus screeched a shuddering halt right outside the academy, and as she ran off, Roshin noticed the driver's face seemed pulled and changed and warped by the vigor of his smile. Faces aren't supposed to stretch quite like that. Drooping should be expected. Roshin burst through the academy doors and whipped her head around, ears straining for any hint of laughter drifting through the air, but there was nothing. Not a whisper. Roisin's breath slowed, her footsteps echoed ahead of her through the halls as she made her way to that grand auditorium where she had first laid eyes on Madame Rufford. It was the only place that made sense to go. Roisin wasn't sure what she expected when she pushed open the door, but it was certainly not the massive, billowing, yellow and red big top tent that couldn't possibly fit even in the enormous space the auditorium that was supposed to be here would have provided for a moment. She forgot everything, as she gazed up at the impossible heights, mouth agape. She forgot about her leaving certificate, her father, and the Walsher. She forgot about the heiress spent pouring over books on Pagliacci, Commedia dell'arte, Joseph Grimaldi, Shakespearean Fools, and the clandestine insurgent rebel clown army. She forgot the wandering, contorting habit her mind had fallen into, feeling her thoughts return instead as blank and clear and she felt lighter for having forgotten. So when she turned again and saw in the sudden spotlight a ringleader clown, the face that had agonized her waking dreams for the past week, she danced towards her in a manner that almost seemed like floating. My, my, Roshin! What prodigious talent! What a powerful ability! What a spectacular performer! Please, won't you show all my friends what a marvelous clown you are? And Roshin turned again to see the arena seats packed with people. She peered in, unable to make out their faces. Only two appeared in perfect clarity. A woman who seemed familiar, with a wrapped doll-like face and ball joints free from the wrinkles of skin. And a bored-looking man so caked in grime that things seemed to be sprouting off of him. Their faces faded from focus. It was an amphitheater of people all entranced by the mere promise of a show from her. And Roshin turned to Rutford with hot, joyful tears, mouth agape, not able to find the words. Rutford smiled. There's no need to thank me, dear. Just stay with me. That's all I need. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution ShareAlike 4 international license. Today's house was written by Matthew O.K. Smith and edited by J.R. Steele and Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Claudia Gellart. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend. Because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's word of the day is, ah! It's just yelling. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.
1: Spiritsford is a normal town, just like yours, or mine. It's a nice town, a nice, ordinary town. It has everything a nice, normal, ordinary town should have. A school, a park, a river. Eyes, teeth, feelings town watches, and the town knows, and it decides who gets to stay and who gets to leave. And Spiritsford has eyes on every wall, eyes that seem to follow you as you walk down the cobbled street. You know you are being watched, you know you are being followed, but you carry on with your day, because of course This is just a normal town. These are all just normal town things. And obviously, our townsfolk are normal too. Just ask the local wizards. They'll tell you themselves that everything going on here is perfectly normal. And there's nothing strange going on here at all. The Children of Room 56 is a queer horror podcast created by Alex Abrahams and distributed by the Listless Network. Our first episode, The Disappearance of Chip Romero Part 1, is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoy.